0: The Mars Candy Company, which makes M&M's, Skittles, Snickers, and more, announced a week ago that they plan to remove artificial colorings from their products that are, quote, made for human consumption. A growing number of people have expressed concerns about the long list of nearly unpronounceable ingredients found in processed foods, and clearly some food companies are actually becoming aware of that. But few of us know what these additives actually are, where they come from, how they work, and and what they look like. With that in mind, the topic of today's Please Explain is food additives, and joining us now are Dr. Charlie Mueller, Clinical Associate Professor of Nutrition at the NYU Steinhardt School, and Dwight Eschleman and Steve Ettlinger, creators of the book Ingredients, a Visual Exploration of 75 Additives and 25 Food Products. And I... Pleased to uh, to welcome you all to our show. Uh, And for our listeners, if you have a question about food additives, we invite you to join in the conversation. You can call us at 212-433-9692. Write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Let's start with some of the ubiquitous additives that we find in many or found in many Mars products like Skittles and M&M's red number 40, and yellow number 5. Steve, where do these chemicals come from?
1: Well, red, red number 40 and yellow number 5 are very common colors. They're made from nitric acid uh, and, and a mixture with other petroleum products like naphthalene and benzene and lye, mostly in China, and then finished off here in the States. Uh, so they're, they start as a gray powder, and they turn into very bright colors.
0: Weren't mo- modern food colorings discovered by accident?
1: Yes, uh, somebody was trying to make uh, an, another uh, chemical, and he got his, his hands turned purple when he spilled the stuff, <laughs> and he decided that that was more lucrative, and that's sort of the root of the artificial colors.
0: And early uh, colorants were toxic.
1: Yeah, we're highly regulated. Now, I asked the uh, FDA why there were numbers 40 or 5, what happened to 39, <laughs> 4, you know, mm-hmm. 3. Well, some of them were toxic.
0: Now, Dwight, uh, didn't you photograph many of the ingredients for the book?
2: I did. We photographed all all of the ingredients, yeah.
0: Were red number 40 and yellow 5 as bright and sharp in pure form as they appear in candies?
2: Uh, yes. Shocking. I, I didn't do the uh, spill on your hand test, but there's no question that their brilliance due to their potency and how concentrated they are is, is much like it appears in, uh, in the food we eat.
0: Charlie, what are the, the most common reasons additives are put into processed foods?
3: Oh, a number of reasons. You've just heard about uh, to enhance their color so that they look better, but also to preserve them, to protect them from microbial growth so they have a longer shelf life. Um, ingredients are added to, um, to uh, improve their what we call mouth mouthfeel. Um, many different properties. Uh, Actually, that food scientists, uh, you know, that's their—that's really their expertise.
0: Earlier this month, Jennifer Lovedahl, who runs a chiropractic practice in Alaska, came upon a McDonald's Happy Meal that she'd purchased six years ago. Yeah, and uh, she found that it hadn't decomposed. Yeah,
3: I read that. I read something about that. Yes. What
0: kinds of ingredients would need to be in a Happy Meal to have it not Uh, to have it? not decompose yeah. all that long
3: yeah any any antimicrobials and perhaps antioxidants, but mostly any 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 anti, uh antimicrobials and sometimes uh, uh substances that hold on to water so that that so that uh, <laughs> so that the Mcdonald's burger doesn't dry out um all different kinds of properties as I was going through the list. I was going through uh, Steve's list of of additives, Um, you know, many of them I I, I looked up on the spot, and a number one of them are simply there for their water-holding capacity.
0: Um, Weren't many of these new food additives developed during World War II?
1: Yeah, post-World War II there was uh, excess chemical plant capacity, and there was a drive for, uh, boy do we know, consumer products that are living through chemistry. Remember that. Uh, Also
0: perhaps for soldiers to have edible food out in the... Oh, absolutely. The battlefields?
1: Right, but the, the, the ubiquitous uh, products uh, were used by the, the consumer product manufacturers, and um, that's when we got the rise for Twinkies. Uh, my previous book was on Twinkies. I've got Twinkies in my office that are almost 10 years old now. I'm. I'm Would you ever eat them? No they are hard they've got they got uh, dried out, but the occasionally there's some mold, but most of the time they're just sitting there uh staring at me and making <laughs> making faces at
3: me. yeah and, and on the home front you know uh, margarine, which is hydro- hydrogenated vegetable oil uh, uh, became a product uh marketed in the United States because butter was being used so frequently by servicemen abroad so to get give, give the American public something butter like uh, Vegetable oils are hydrogenated so that they're solid at room temperature. And uh, now, of course, those are cis oils that are not on the market anymore. Well,
0: originally, because the, uh, the dairy industry fought margarine, it was sold uh, as a kind of a white fat, and then you had a little capsule in the package that's that you right. could break it right. with the yellow uh, dye to make it look like butter. That's right. That
3: that's before my time luckily. I'm going to say that. Yeah. And
2: that what was, was one in of those... the capsule? What was the what was the yellow coloring?
3: Well, it's I think it's on your list, but I can't uh, oh gosh, I can't remember I can't remember the name. It's it's on your it's on your list though. It's one of your photographs, I believe, right?
2: Riboflavin or yellow number 5?
3: It might be yellow number 5. Riboflavin of yeah. course is one of the B vitamins <laughs> uh, that does mm-hmm. have a yellow color if you put it in water. Uh, it'll it'll make the water look yellow. So,
0: well, riboflavin is healthy, but aren't some of the additives that are considered safe in the United States banned in other countries?
3: Yeah, there's a the FDA has a list called "generally recognized as safe" that you may have heard of, and it's uh, these are products that can be that the FDA has uh, um, vetted apparently um, and decided that they are. Generally safe to be added to food products. That is not. That does not at all mean that uh, 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 that they meet European standards. Um, this is similar to the difference in 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 drug legislation as it applies in Europe as it applies to the United States.
0: My guests are Dr. Charlie Miller, clinical associate professor of nutrition at the NYU Steinhardt School, Dwight eschleman and Steve Etlinger creators of a book called Ingredients, a visual exploration of 75 additives and 25 food products. This is WNYC, WNYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate, and we invite your calls at two one two four three three nine six nine two. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where I handle is at Leonard Lopate. And Derek from the Upper West Side, you're on the air.
4: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I just look, as your show is coming on, I happen to be reading the label on a bottle Gatorade
2: mm-hmm. and I
4: heard you guys open up with uh, red 40 and yellow 5. Yellow 5 is in my Gatorade water. It's supposed to be vitamin water. A, why is it there? And B, does it have any deleterious or, or negative effects on my on my health? And by the way, it's in water.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> I I, I, sat, I visited a color plant a few years ago. It was fabulous. There's a guy who, who was charged with developing the colors for a whole line of vitamin waters. I won't say the brand. They're on his shelf. And I asked him, well, you know, what's the difference? And he said, oh, it's just, it's just color. It's just color. It's all psychology. It's all psychology.
0: But vitamin waters uh, are sold as a kind of a health product. Right. And, and, they're, and, and they're putting additives in that? Well, are those additives dangerous no, in any way? No, not
1: necessarily, but, you know, there's, I think the better question is should you be getting your vitamins from uh, a bottle of vitamin water as opposed to, say, a, your, your diet or, or perhaps a more concentrated yeah. form? Yeah. But they actually had to sit down and decide what color vitamin A, B, C, or D should be. <laughs> yeah, <is> uh, <laughs> th-
3: these waters, um, uh, color, Derek, yeah, Derek, these waters are uh, being marketed principally by the um, soft food industry companies to take up uh, their new product ideas to take the place of the declining sale of sodas, both diet and sugar sodas. And um, it's a, in my opinion, uh, you are in New York City, you should just be drinking water out of your tap. It's some of the best water in the world. It comes from reservoirs upstate. It costs you almost nothing. And in terms of vitamin waters, um, you know, as as uh, as as Steve says, you can get your vitamins from food, and um, you certainly don't need um, uh, vitamin water with perhaps a little bit of sugar or some sort of artificial sweetener. Um, it's not it's not necessarily good for you at all. You're mostly paying two dollars a bottle for twelve ounces of uh, sugar water, or not or artificially sweetened water with added vitamins.
0: Thank you for calling us, Eric.
4: Thanks a lot. By the way, you know, it's, it, the bottle is marked naturally flavored, but it doesn't say artificial color. Isn't yellow five artificial color?
1: It is, but they may have flavored it with a natto, which is a yellow color. That's probably mm-hmm. the one that colored butter and, and cheddar cheese.
0: Well, along those lines, Jerry mm-hmm. from Pennington, New Jersey, uh, is wondering about natural flavors. Jerry?
4: Yes, yes. Yes, I've seen uh, that uh, name on many products. I guess it, uh, and I've always wondered what what on earth does it
2: mean.
1: Well, I, I I hate to tell you, it depends on the product. But one of the most common uh, places where you find natural flavor is when they put in something that's the equivalent of Are you ready? MSG. Mm. It's autolyzed yeast or or uh, something like that. Uh, it's it's a natural flavor, but they don't want to say MSG because some people think it's nasty.
0: Although flavor. Chinese chefs will tell you MSG in in uh, small quantities is is perfectly healthy.
1: Any scientist will as well, I think.
3: Yeah, it's well, a, there there are no known uh, adverse effects in the scientific lit- scientific literature from MSG.
1: Can we underline that? That's amazing.
0: Well, but let's look at <laughs> a few of the particularly interesting additives that uh, are in the book, like uh, azodicarbonamide. Uh, what does that
1: do?
3: I'm going to defer to, to okay. Steve. Well,
1: first of all, it, it, it makes everyone uh, stumble when they pronounce it. It's better known as ADA. Did I'm I say it right? You, you, yeah, it's just hard, and mm. it's one of my favorite uh, ingredients for that reason because so it's hard, hard to on say. That. Um, f- it's a maturing agent for bleach, for, for flour. It's an alternative mm. to potassium bromate to, to bleach the flour, but it also and mostly controls foaming, retains mm. gas in a dough. But also it's used to retain gas bubbles in plastics. And so a really awful, I think, stupid uh, blogger made a big deal about Subway using what's in their bread, something that was used to make yoga mats and started a big campaign. And Subway, being sensitive to consumers t- had to take it out of their dough. It had nothing, to, it was no problem. But it was, but it was claimed
0: off. that it was harmful to factory workers who were making it.
1: Yeah, but it had nothing to do with the bread or, and it was in everybody's bread. It wasn't just subways. It is
0: banned in Europe and Australia.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know why, uh, because it's it's used in a very, very small amount, and it's mostly, um, it disappears after it's moistened.
0: Now, the the one that we probably see the most is partially hydrogenated vegetable oil
3: what 's the process that makes it partially hydrogenated well that 's just the that that means the uh, that means the quantity of double bonds that have you have a hydrogen bond replacing the double bond it's uh it's uh it's hydrogen it 's hydrogenated just enough to make it solid at room temperature and it changes the chemical configuration of the uh, of the fatty acid. Um, and the, the, and this is one this is one uh, additive, uh, and let's call it an artificial nutrient that has been shown in the literature to be harmful. It's more atherogenic, for instance, than saturated than most saturated fatty Isn't acids. Isn't it in Crisco? Uh, it no, is Crisco. Cri- yeah. <laughs> it is Crisco. Yeah, um, there probably is a quantity that they allow. Um, I'm 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 speaking without knowledge. There's probably a. Um, a quantity of it that is allowed right. um, in the product, but I'm not
1: a, minus, a minuscule amount. So right. what, what they've struggled to do in that business is find an alternative uh, by mixing fully hydrogenated oil with unhydrogenated oil to get the equivalent. What does hydrogenating mean? They put it in a tank, blast it with hydrogen and heat, and force more hydrogen onto the molecule, more hydrogen atoms onto the molecules of the oil, and that that's changes it.
0: And that doesn't make it float. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it heavy. The, it makes the, it like Crisco, but the, 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 Crisco
1: right. doesn't have it anymore. Yeah. It's not dangerous anymore. It was one of the very first artificial food ingredients, right. and everybody thought it was safe because it'd been around so long. And it turns out it, w- it was killing us because of the trans fats.
3: Yes, that's right. That's right. And it's it's a it's it's a simple matter of of, of saturating all the carbon bonds, and uh, and and when you do, you turn it from liquid to solid, and it's also more stable uh, under heat. So, you know, the, the, the trade-off in something like Crisco is, is that you, uh, under high heat over a certain period of time, will the oil remain stable or not? And, uh, of course, in volume frying, such as uh, happens in fast food places and so on and so forth, the longer ol- an oil lasts, um, the more uh, cost-effective it is.
0: Howard from Manhattan. Hi, you're on the air.
4: Thanks. In the early 1980s, I was a management consultant helping the company that makes Thomas's English muffins uh. put in a very costly computer system uh, to optimize their roots because, Leonard probably remembers this, English muffins used to get stale really fast.
0: Oh, I remember when have. I ate them, and that probably was the case.
4: Yes, and, and 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 they don't anymore, so they had this; they were investing millions of dollars in this computer system to optimize the roots, and they had terminals... For the route drivers on the trucks. And it was really a very advanced system. And a few weeks before they were about to make a big announcement and release it to the world, the food chemists came out of the laboratory and they developed a formulation for the English muffins that allowed weeks of shelf life. So the route men didn't have to go back and take back the. Do you know what the additive was? No, and I'm hoping maybe your guests do.
1: It's, uh, I, I don't know what they used, to, Thomas, but Twinkies were famous when I, uh, a number of years ago for, last, for having a shelf life of 25 days. This is a bread product, a baked product. Now with the new owners, it's 45 days. Mm-hmm. I think they added some enzyme. Things work together. Maybe they changed the packaging, more gas inside the, the uh, cellophane. 45 days. You know, If you make them at home, they last a day. Of course, if you eat them, they only last an hour.
0: <laughs> We're speaking with Steve Ettlinger and uh, Dwight Eshleman, who are the creators of a book called Ingredients, a Visual Exploration of 75 Additives and 25 Food Products uh, with wonderful photographs uh, that uh, each page or each double spread uh, has a food and then the shocking number of additives <laughs> that you find in these, uh, these commonly eaten foods. Also with us is Dr. Charlie Mueller, Clinical Associate Professor of Nutrition at the NYU Steinhardt School. And uh, we invite your calls at 212-433-9692 if you want to join in this conversation. Or you can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. We'll take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about high-fructose corn syrup and maybe and, – and shellac. Party time. Shellac. I can't believe we have shellac in our foods. Right after this. And we are back with Dr. Charlie Mueller, Clinical Associate Professor of Nutrition at the NYU Steinhardt School, and with Dwight Eschleman and Steve Ettlinger, the creators of a book called Ingredients A Visual Exploration of 75 Additives and 25 Food Products. And it is published by? Regan Arts. And it's a beautiful book. Thank you. Um, now, how difficult, Dwight, was it to photograph these additives and, and capture a, a real sense of what the, Well, you also want to give us a sense of what they're going to do in a food.
2: In terms of photographing them, for me, I, I wouldn't say it was easy. But there were certainly challenges. But for me, in terms of a visual approach it felt very natural. Early on from the publisher, I learned the term visual fatigue and how that's something to avoid when you're trying to sell books. For me, it's, it's exciting stuff. I love looking at things in groups and examining their, their differences. And I knew going into this just that it was a world of white powders and clear liquids. It was certainly a surprise just how thoroughly it was. Um, such a world, you know. But I, I think our clinical approach seemed to match the subject matter, and and in the end, we tried to photograph each of the items as as consistently as possible, which I think was important to uh, show their differences.
0: Were you surprised by how many additives you find in something like a, a Red Bull energy drink or an oatmeal cookie?
2: <laughs> Certainly. I mean, I think that was one of the first things that attracted us to create such a project, right? Like, I, I think Steve and I both met each other through through the Twinkie, which has approximately 37 ingredients, and that's not uncommon. So for me, it was uh, absolutely fascinating just to, to put a face to the names.
0: The scariest for me was McDonald's Chicken McNuggets, in which the <laughs> ingredients cover a whole page. I don't know. I haven't counted how many there are. But it looks like uh, maybe 45 unnatural ingredients in a Chicken McNugget.
2: And in full disclosure, I'd have to say that we've edited out two or three uh, foods that I wanted to feature just because we couldn't fit them on the page.
0: Wow. Well, let's talk about some of the other uh, things that we find everywhere. High fructose corn syrup. Charlie, uh, uh, how is that different from just corn syrup?
3: Uh, well, corn syrup, it, high fructose corn syrup is uh, you have more of the, uh, of the of the single of the uh, fructose molecule itself, um, and high and high fructose corn syrup is is just uh, you will have a little bit more of the corn polymers, that is to say, uh, glucose molecules chained together with fructose mixed in. Um, what they're doing is is that they're they're turning the corn syrup. Into fructose chemically, which is sugar. Which is sugar. It's is one it a, any different? Th- it's uh, the sugar than that's, regular sugar. It, yeah. It, well, they're different. They're th- basically three simple sugars: uh, glucose, fructose, and galactose. And fructose is the sugar that we taste when we eat fruit. Um, when we eat white sugar, is is a uh, are two glucose molecules together. Lactose that makes dairy sweet is a is is Two is galactose and glucose. So high fructose corn syrup is corn syrup that has been has a higher percentage of fructose in it than normal than corn syrup polymers would have.
0: White sugar is uh, refined sugar. So has yeah. it been changed much from raw sugar?
3: Well, a lot of the um, minerals have been removed from it li- li- literally to make it white. Um, uh, apparently, that's more appealing to people. Certainly in over history in the in the, in the world of uh, of gastronomics and so on and so forth, it's it's uh, it's, it, it's I guess more appealing. But in terms of uh, sugar in the body and how it's handled in the body, there isn't a big difference between fructose and uh, white sugar. Let's say
0: so the body one isn't more awful. No, for our no,
3: health? they're all turned. All of the these three. These three sugars, um, uh, you digest them down to the sugar, and you absorb the, su- the individual sugars, galactose, glucose, and fructose, and they go to the liver right away. And in the liver, everything is changed to glucose, and that's what circulates in your body. Nothing makes it out into systemic circulation that isn't glucose.
0: Steve, another extremely common additive, uh, but one that may be less well-known, is phosphoric acid. Uh, What are some of the most popular uses of uh, the phosphoric acid?
1: Well, probably the most common one is to add the zing in in soft drinks like Coca-Cola. It's a very common uh, taste additive.
0: But isn't it also used in industrial
1: Oh, it's it's used all over the world in industrial things. It's also the, it provides um, uh, the acid part, uh, calcium phosphate, that's used in baking powder, um, I, it's made with uh, a mixture of acids that comes out actually something that is relatively natural in that uh, phosphorus itself is one of the seven elements necessary for life. I, I visited a phosphorus mine and they, uh, the, the engineers were all joking, oh, phosphorus keeps your genes up. <laughs> but
0: doesn't <it>, didn't uh, <laughs> distilled urine also be used in, in producing phosphorus?
1: Well, actually, uh, a fellow wanted to... Uh, long ago in the 1600s was uh, using a version of alchemy to find a pure element and he thought he could find it in the urine from nuns uh, which um, turned out to be uh, when he distilled <laughs> it down it was fairly uh, dangerous and flammable and he got severely burnt mm-hmm. uh, By the way, elemental phosphorus bursts into flame when you expose it to air which is really a hoot because it looks like water. But hey, Charlie, hey. Charlie, how
0: is it that something that's used as an herbicide which this is or an industrial detergent also... Can be put into food and drink.
3: Well, in in uh, in theory, it's because it's in such small amounts that it's not harmful. And it's funny you should mention phosphoric acid in sodas and everything. I know it's a little bit of a problem in the world of nephrologists; those are kidney doctors who are concerned about phosphorus in the diet. When your kidneys don't work, you don't get rid of the phosph. You don't get rid of excess phosphorus, and particularly the ph- phosphoric acid in, in canned sodas and everything, uh, uh, those products are a problem because uh, th- the actual amounts that are in the soda are not, are not readily known. And how bioavailable, that is to say how well absorbed they are, and eventually um, harmful to people who uh, have end-stage kidney failure. Um, so, but in theory, it's because those substances are in tiny amounts and therefore recognized as safe.
0: Dwight, were they dangerous to work with when you were photographing
2: them? <laughs> we hope not. <laughs> I, there was, there well, you're was not here,
0: so them. I can't see whether you're in good health or not. <laughs> you should see his hands. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it wasn't terribly dangerous, at least. Um, cer- certainly we had con- some concerns not being familiar with many of these, these items, but um, I would say... The closest we came to being harmed was the smell of diacetyl. I was just um, going to say. <laughs> as, aside from that, I don't think there was any last. It has damage. a
0: really strong odor. And uh, yeah. that that's lost when it's used as a it, food additive? When it's
1: concentrated diacetyl, which is a, a but, artificial butter taste, it's also an element in artificial vanilla. I mean,
0: I can't believe it's not diacetyl? Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's hard to believe those two wonderful flavors are made from something that when it's concentrated it has to be made in a special room because it stinks.
0: I was surprised to see shellac in the book. Uh, shellac is something that's a sealer. Um, how is it, how is it used in food?
1: It, it, it reta- helps, re- uh, seals in moisture and sometimes like uh, apples, which from what I normally understand are natural. Um, the moisture just keeps them. I mean, the sealer just keeps them moist longer. But it's so also they spray
0: a, apples with shellac. Yeah, yeah. It
1: makes it non-vegetarian because shellac's made from uh, insect secretions. Isn't that nice to know? It's also one of the polymers used to coat aspirin pills and other pills as an, um, an enteric.
0: I would assume that <laughs> shellac in large doses would be harmful.
3: I would assume so too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and, I, and I, and couldn't it build up in your body? absolutely uh, uh and uh, I mean, th- these are the concerns that that consumers have um the only thing i the only thing i can say is is that these are generally recognized as safe by the fda um and i'm not passing any judgment on that or the abilities of the fda to um vet these these additives
0: in some cases like and, wines we don't have ingredients listed but uh some wines have Polydimethylsiloxane. Did uh, I pronounce
1: that right? Yes.
3: I think I can... Uh, uh, I do not know if wine is regulated of, by the same labeling regulations that apply to conventional foods. No, it's it's very likely you can add... You can put additives into wine that have to be, by law... On the label of conventional foods, they are very strict laws, well, labeling laws, in the United States. Well,
0: that uh, that ingredient, uh, uh is also uh, uh, its discovery led to silly putty. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, it, it's silly putty. <laughs> Hard to believe. Yeah, so
0: that's we're, why we're wine putting, bounces. Did you know <laughs> that? <laughs> so kids that's who eat—why eat I t- bounce after I've had kids right. some. Kids, wine. kids who eat silly
3: that, putty <laughs> are maybe onto something. Yeah.
0: What about taurine, Charlie? Isn't that chemical <laughs> commonly found in energy drinks as well?
3: Well, taurine is a, is an amino acid, and it's essential to life. Uh, it's, it's a building block. Amino acids are the building block uh, building blocks of proteins. So, taurine is a is an organic uh, substance compound. It's an amino acid, and it's it's one that uh, children. Uh, don't synthesize as readily as older adults do. So
0: children shouldn't be drinking those. No,
3: no, 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 no. Uh, pediatric or infant formulas sometimes, and I know in the world of intravenous feeding, um, we give them individual amino acids when we feed people intravenously because they can't digest the protein. So we give them in, in, amino acids. Taurine is added uh, to the pediatric formulas. It's not. A, it's not a. Uh, it's certainly not a toxic substance, uh, unless perhaps uh, <laughs> uh, infused in very high quantities.
0: I'm going to sneak one more call in here. Robin, you have to make it quick. Robin from Long Island City.
4: Yes. I'm sorry if this is redundant. What about um, with frozen foods? Like uh, What I love, Marie Callender's side, um or frozen uh, chicken pot pies, have uh, additives as long as your arm. Are those bad for you? Also, even in
1: progressive soup, there's calcium chloride, hydrolyzed soy protein. What about soups and frozen foods? Uh, Hydrolyzed soy protein is is for taste. It's like the MSG. If you you made it yourself, you could add Parmesan cheese and get the same effect.
3: And Um, it comes from soybeans, and it's an an isolated protein from soybeans.
1: But I guess Robin's question is, do they
0: stick a lot of stuff in frozen foods because that uh, helps them
3: stay frozen longer
1: and uh, remain healthy? They have to suppress ice crystals. That's why you have a lot That's of gums right. in there, like uh, guar gum. And-
3: it's all designed, um, it's all part of increasing the life of the product and maximizing its taste um, with, with a certain amount of regard to the nutrient value. Many of the additives that are in the book are vitamins that are normally in foods that are removed from food in the in the processing process in the food processing process and added back um
0: and uh so we should not uh, is the the general message we've been getting these things aren't necessarily dangerous even though we might prefer to just eat as naturally as
3: possible well i i like I, I like to say that, they, that, that the best thing to do is, just as you said, Leonard, is to eat as naturally as possible. Eat food. Um, uh, buy things that have ingredients that you, I can identify as food.
0: We have to leave it there. Thank you so much, Charlie Miller, Dwight Eschleman, and Steve Ettinger for being our guest today on Please Explain.
2: Thank you very much.